The devil knows his time is running out. He's an he's a, he's a animal that's backed into a corner right now. The church of God has got him backed into that corner, and we're kicking him in the teeth, and he's lashing out even harder than he ever has before. But it's because we are on the side of victory. So never give up. Never surrender. Always speak the truth, and God has he's already won. And so all we got to do is just take back what the enemy stole. And so that's why we see what we're, what, what's happening in the world. But it is an honor and a joy to be a part of a church community that says we are not going to stay silent. We're going to proclaim God's truth with everything we have. Amen. And that leads us into today's passage really well. It's the, it's the heart of a worshiper. The heart of a worshiper knows who their father is, follows their father, acts like their father, and does what their father is calling them to do. And that's my question to you today, church. Are you, are you a worshiper? Do you have a heart, like we will see here in a second, a heart like David? Or do you kind of say, ah, because I want to be dignified and look right and not, not necessarily ruffle feathers. I'm just going to stay like chill here. But that's the question that I have for you today. But let me pray for us. And we're going to dive into 2 Samuel chapter 6. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we, uh, we thank you for what you're doing, Lord, in our, in our church, in our communities, in our families, God, in our nation, and in our world. Lord, you said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Lord, whether it is all the way across to the, the ocean to Africa, or whether it's in the halls of the Supreme Court in, in Washington, or in the state legislature, and in the schools, wherever we are, we are to proclaim the gospel. That is a mandate from you, and Lord, as Life Church, just make us bolder, make us make us. Uh, no truth even better than what we already know it. And God, give us a platform for your glory and your glory alone so that people will know you and turn to you and be saved. Lord, that is our heart. We want to see you glorified and we want to see the world know you. We love you. It's in your mighty name we pray. Open our ears and our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so starting in chapter 6, verse 12, this is what it says. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Okay, so where are we at right now? If you go back just to a few verses earlier, you're going to see that David tried to bring the ark up a few, a few days earlier, and he did it wrong. And it, got, and it scared him because he did not know how God had mandated to carry the presence of the Holy Spirit. He did not know how God had mandated him to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And so a few, a few verses earlier, we see that a man named Uzzah was bringing the cart, him and his brother and his father, they were bringing the cart out of a, of a house that it had been in for, the, uh, for about 70 years. And David wanted, he's now king over all of Israel. He said, we got to take the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, put it in the tabernacle, and, and God will be in the center of his people again. After many, many years where that hasn't been the case, now we can get it in right standing. So he had the right intentions, but he did it the world's way. When he moved the Ark, they, did, they put it on a cart, just like the Philistines had done. Because remember, the ark had been in the Philistines' control, and the Philistines didn't like it because it was causing a lot of curses to fall on the Philistines. The Lord was kicking the butt of the Philistine people big time. And, and they said, get this ark out of here because it's causing a lot of chaos in our cities. And so they put it on a cart, and they sent these two ox with it, and they, these cows, and they ended up going back. Uh, they, they pulls the ark back into Jerusalem or into Israel. And, and now it's been sitting in this cart. And so David says, okay, well, why don't we just take that cart and move it over to Jerusalem? Seems like a logical, seems like a logical kind of 
conclusion, but it wasn't theological. It wasn't God's logic. He used man's logic to do it. The ark was never supposed to be put on a cart. It was always supposed to be carried on poles on the shoulders of the sons of Levi or the, the family of Kohathites. Uh, the, and, and, and that's how God commanded it be moved. And so when the ark began to tip, a man named Uzzah put his hand up to stop the ark from tipping. He was an Israelite. And God struck him dead for touching the presence of a holy God with unclean hands. Struck him dead instantly. And David got scared. David said, Lord, we're trying to do your work. Why would you do this in response to us? And the Lord says, David... You did not fear me the way that I'm calling you to fear me. That's why this happened. You didn't go back and study how my presence is supposed to be stewarded. And for all of us in this place, do you steward the presence of the Holy Spirit the way God is calling you to? Or do you take it flippantly? Do you walk into God's presence just like, hey, God, hey, hey buddy, hey, old pal, right? That's not how you approach the high king. It's not how you approach the God of the universe. And David's learning this, but he's, he's finally figured it out. And he says, okay, God is blessing Obed-Edom. Let me go back and study. And so David goes back and he studies how to actually move the cart. Now, we don't get this in 2 Samuel, but if you go over to 1 Chronicles 15, you'll see how David went about moving the ark. And it says this, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. And then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, exactly how God told Moses to do it in the wilderness. For the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister, him to, to, minister to him forever. I think that's interesting. Forever. Is forever over? No, no, no. Still to this day, the tribe of Levi are the ministers of God. They minister. They are the high priest, the priestly, and we are being grafted in as a people into that, that ministering tribe because of what Jesus has done. And then David assembled all of Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. And David gathered together the sons of Aaron and the Levites and of the sons of Kohath. Remember, it was only the family of Ko- the, the Kohathite family that was allowed to carry the ark. And uh, Uriel, the chief, with 120 of his brothers. And if you jump ahead to verse 15 in First Chronicles, <clears throat> there, uh, and the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. David also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who should play loudly on musical instruments, on harps and lyres and cymbals to raise sounds of joy. Now, real quick, how many know that God mentions lawyers in Scripture? He says he commanded them to play harps and lyres and cymbals to raise sounds of joy. I just threw that in there. That was Ray Adler over at the Noblesville campus as a lawyer. He's like, you know, Micah, God talks about us in scriptures. He, he, he talks about the liars in scripture. <laughs> I'm like, if, if he can say he's a lawyer, if he can say, I certainly can say it. That's just, that's free. You don't have to pay for that one. Okay. All right. Anyway. Uh, so he's, he's basically coming in with the ark, with the presence the right way now. So now we get to see David doing what God had commanded. He's doing God's call God's way instead of God's call the world's way, which is something we constantly have to learn in this, in this uh, life that we're, we're living. We always say, hey, well, the world does this. Maybe we just do it and twist it and, and use it for God. No, God has his own ways. Let's do it his ways. So David, if you go on and you, you read the, 
um, the rest of that First Chronicles uh, 15 passage, you'll see that David writes a song, and it's a beautiful song, but it's a song of praise and thanksgiving. And I think one of the things the church in America is terrible at, it's being people who, are, who have joy and gladness exuding out of them. You go into churches around this nation, and most of the time, and I travel churches, I speak at churches, I lead worship at churches, I've been doing this for 20 years. It's, it's very it's depressing to see how depressed the, the people of God are in this nation. God is not calling you to be depressed or to live in despair. He's calling you to be people of joy and gladness. He gives us the oil of joy for mourning. Right? We exchange our mourning and He gives us the gladness. That's what, that's what it says in Nehemiah 8, verse 10. It says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You can choose to be joyful. Joy is a choice. Happiness is a feeling. This is not, we're not talking about happiness. We're not talking about the feels. We're talking about joy. You can walk out of this place today and say, I will, can, I will start today. I'm going to be a person of joy. And the joy of the Lord is going to be my strength. When I was going through uh, a transition, I, uh, Susan and I, this is my beautiful wife, Susan, down here. So, yeah, so I think, is this your first time at Fisher's? First? No, no, but since we came way, way back, like before I was really on staff at Noblesville, have you been here since then? You have? Really? Where, where was I? <laughs> yeah, where, <laughs> that's right. Well, this is Susan. So, Susan, say hello. And everyone, say hello to Susan. All right. So, uh, <laughs> She's beautiful. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I married up. And uh, she was Miss Indiana in 2006. I just have to brag on her because that's, so she was, which I brag on her, but I do, I do it because I want to brag on myself because then that by default makes me Mr. Indiana, right? <laughs> Is that how it works? That, so she just smile and nod, smile and nod, smile and nod. No, all right. Anyway, okay, that's not true. I'm not Mr. Indiana. All right. But um, so Susan and I, we had just gotten married uh, and I was, I came off the road touring with a Christian band and I was looking for uh, kind of the next steps that God was calling me to. And I didn't know where he was moving me and, and Susan. And so I just got a job because I like golf. As you heard earlier, I like golf. I got a job at a golf course in Cicero called Bear Slide, but it was just cutting greens and mowing the grass. And I, I, I liked it. It was, it was, it was really like cool. It was a cool job, but I knew it wasn't my ultimate purpose. I knew it was a season, and I just, it, towards the end of that season, I remember just sitting on the mower saying, Lord, like, what am I doing? What am I doing here? Like, move, like, hurry up, like, get me into the place I need to be, because this is not it. And the Lord hit me one day, which is, he just spoke to me so clearly. He said, Micah, if you can't have joy sitting on this mower for the rest of your life, you really don't know who you are in me. And I was like, oosh. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's convicting. I said, all right. And, I, and in that moment, I surrendered to the Lord. I said, Lord, okay, fine. I, I, I will be the most joy-filled lover of God that, I, that you've ever seen mowing in any golf course on the face of the earth, right? <laughs> I, I'll do it my whole life. If that's what you call me to do, that's what I will do. And wouldn't you know it, it was a few weeks after that where the church Susan and I were going to at the time was called White River Christian Church. They came to me and they said, hey, would you consider like doing this worship director thing for kids? And I was like, they have those? Like, that's a thing? And, uh, and I said, I don't know. And, and it was like the Lord had to smack me over the head. I said, this is my path for you. Now go do it. But it took me coming to the realization that 
I was fully and 100% dependent on him, and he was my strength, and there was no other way I was going to find strength. And so it was the joy of the Lord that I learned to walk in in that season. And for, I haven't looked back since. But that's the, that's the question. We've got to all learn that at some point. Your circumstances don't dictate your joy. Your, your strength is totally and 100% dependent on the joy of the Lord that he gives you. It comes from God. So are you looking to him or are you saying, well, my circumstances aren't letting me be joyful. No, that's not your circumstances. You choose to be joyful and it will be your strength. Going back to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 13. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed, he being David, an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. So I want you to recognize David didn't just dance. He danced with all his might. You know, when we, when we sing songs like, you know, uh, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Are you singing with all your might? Are you praising God with everything that you are? And there's a big difference between praise and worship. Praise is worship, but worship isn't always praise. Praise is an outward expression. You have to do something to praise. You, worship is a 24-7 lifestyle. Worship, I mean, you could just be sitting here quietly meditating on the Word of God, and that's an act of worship. But it isn't an act of praise. Don't ever confuse praise in worship, because it's important that you know the difference, because God calls you to be people of praise. Do you know what, you know what the word Judah means? It means to praise. Isn't it interesting that the power of God through the word Jesus Christ made flesh, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the lion of the tribe of those who praise. So if you want to be powerful, if you want to walk in the power of God, you've got to learn to be a praiser, not just a worshiper, a praiser. And that's David. That's what he's doing here. He's dancing. He's singing. He's loudly expressing his heart for the Lord, his passionate desire for God. You go to a Colts game, you see passionate praise. Like people dress. I don't remember the last time someone's put on Life Church colors and they full, like painted them, their body you know, black and gold, right? But they do that down at Lucas Oil. It'll be blue and white, right? People, you'll be like, dude, you didn't put some clothes on. It's like, well, I painted my body. I know that. Like, put some clothes on, all right? But that's praise. And it's passionate. By the way, did you guys know that, I think Pastor Nathan, didn't he come up with, who's been here since Pastor Nathan's been here? Okay, did he come up with these colors? Oh, my gosh. That's because, that's because he's a Steelers fan. Oh my gosh, it just hit me now. I was like, wait a second, black and gold. That's a Steelers color. You gotta be kidding me. He put Steelers colors in the house of the Lord. Oh my goodness. They, they were the original colors? Oh, he put them back. Okay, so that's not quite as bad. So, okay, Dr. Vernon bailed him out like a, good, like a good deacon you are. All right, there you go. <laughs> All right, all right, there we go. All right, moving on. A lot, a lot of people like to praise a lot of different ways. I, I, there was an old worship uh, video that I, that I found, I dug up online, and it's, uh, it's super funny, but it kind of embodies the different uh, hearts of praise and worship that God has put in all of us. It, you, might, you might find yourself worshiping in a way where someone else may not understand it, and that's okay. This is what this passage is all about. David is now exuding himself. He's, he's, he's praising God with everything he is, 
And he, you're going to see here in just a few verses that his wife does not like it. And she has a critical spirit. But before we do that, I want you to watch this video. It kind of just sort of embodies a lot of different funny worship styles. Check it out. As a worship leader, uh, sorry, um, as a lead worshiper, I'm doing something innovative. I'm, I'm using the heart of music and my heart to connect the heart of the people to the very heart of God's heart. I mean, that's never been done in the history of the church. What about hymns? Him who? Hello, my name is George. And I'm Jorge. And we've just released a new CD, George and Jorge Remix the World. Yeah, you see, there's so much great music out there that is worthless because it doesn't worship God. That's right. So what we've done is we've healed and purified them with just a little touch of Jesus. We'll give you a taste of it right now. One, two, three. So I put my hands up, worshiping my God, and the sin just flies away. <laughs> Healing the sick like ya, preaching the word like ya. <laughs> You know what this book is, Skippy? This is the only book that should be in churches other than the Holy Bible. Yep, you guessed it. It is a hymnal. Where such classics as Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. You know, stuff like that. Good stuff. Awesome stuff. But you know, today's music, it's just a little too loud. It just sounds like it should be in a bar. You know, the ancient church was really offended by hymns because it reminded them of bar songs. <laughs> well, flip me over and tickle me twisted. Didn't know that. Still too loud. I'm just a leper, nobody loves me. He's just a leper from a leper colony. Whiskey skin, he's a monstrosity. Do de do 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 de do do de do. Do not come, you must go, and your skin not show. Let it show. Must not show. Let it show. Must not show. Let it show. Must not show. No, 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 no. Pharisee, Pharisee. I've been caught a lot of things. Snake handler, reptile man. Crazy. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you right now, there's no worship service that can shake two sticks at my chapel time. <laughs> For sure. Get back in there, Carl. Where were we? Oh, yeah. My church believes in the fear of the Lord. <laughs> and ain't nothing put the fear in a man like a rattlesnake. Tell me. You ever sung, He has made me glad with a poisonous reptile stretched across your trembling shoulders? <laughs> if not, then you've never truly worshipped. You don't believe me? Let me show you. Carl? Oh, Carl's out. Y'all start praying. Start looking around and start praying. I'm serious. That snake will kill you dead. Carl! Right, somebody get me some help. I ain't gonna touch that thing. I'm not a heathen. I just got saved by my good Lord. Yeah. I just got saved by my good Lord. Oh, yeah. I just got saved by my good, good Lord. I'm, I'm not, not a heathen. heathen. Tonight's a night. Let's praise the Lord. I got some money. Let's tithe it. T-t-tithe it up. I'm not a heathen. Okay, so uh, that's the youth pastor and me coming out, okay? I just think that's funny. And it's, uh, it, we don't do snakes here. Well, I take that back. We did do a snake a few weeks ago, but that was Silly Safari, and it was a boa constrictor, and we did bring it out on stage. I had to wear it, and those don't kill you. Those are boa constrictors, right? Do those kill you? 
Okay, those will, okay, they will, they'll eat you. Okay, those will eat you. All right. I think it's a little different than that. So I can't say we haven't ever done a snake. We have done a snake at least once. But there was a lot of people, the point of that, the point of that video is there's a lot of people who worship differently. And the question is, will you have a critical spirit and judge people based on their heart of worship and their praise? Or are you going to take, take part in how God is calling you to praise? And, and we're going to see this in David's wife, Michal. Her name is, we'll call her Michal. It's, it's, that's a Hebrew dialect. People say Michael, but I think, you know, it's, it's easier for me to comprehend. When, I, when you got David and Michael being married, that sounds weird. So I'm like, let's just call her Michal. So anyway, but before we get into that, there are many, there are many worship words in the ancient Hebrew and Greek. And I want you to just, I want to highlight the depths of the meaning of these words that the Hebrews would use to praise and proclaim God's glory. First is, this is the English, obviously, word, but Webster's Dictionary, the 1828 Dictionary, says to adore, to pay divine uh, honors to, to reverence with supreme respect and, and vener- veneration. This is an act of kissing the face of God. You'll see worship uh, being described as this intimate moment with the Holy One. Uh, the primary Hebrew word for worship is a word called shabaka, and that is, uh, it calls us to bow down before God. So, like, it's an act. Again, you're, you're doing something. It's not just sitting there reflecting on God. You're bowing down, and you're showing th- through your whole being that, God, you are worthy of our praise. The Greek, the primary Greek word was a word called uh, proskunio. It calls us to kneel before God. So it's a similar word as the Hebrew word, but it's an act of bowing, an act of kneeling. Then you have words in the Hebrew like halah, which is a Hebrew word that encourages us to be uninhibited in our worship. So leaving it all on the field. Don't, don't back down. If you feel the Lord encouraging you to, to worship, to worship. Don't, like, don't stop what you're doing because you're inhibiting yourself. Your mind is getting in the way. Shabbat is a Hebrew word that encourages us to praise God with a loud voice. Okay? Not, not quiet voice, a loud voice. Think about the last time you've praised God with a loud voice. Like, can, you, can you specifically remember a time where you gave everything you had in your worship, in your praise, it came out of your mouth, and it was, it was the loudest shout you could muster at the time? When is the last time you've done that? If you can't think of a time... I would say you probably have not stepped into being the praiser that God is calling you to be. Then you have tahilah, which is a which is a Hebrew word that encourages us to sing praises to God. Sometimes we meditate on the word, and that's good, but until you open your mouth and proclaim it out, it doesn't change the atmosphere. God does everything through his word. He's calling you to be a people who use your word just like he does. Then you have zamar. That's a Hebrew word that invites us to, uh, to praise God through instruments. God loves instrumental praise. Praise God through the, the drums and, the, and the, the clashing of the cymbals, or in this case, the rubber pads on the electric drum set. <laughs> Jason, if you're a drummer, you know how terrible it is to like, hit those rubber pads. It just does not feel right, you know, but, but you know, hey, Maybe this is a good, maybe I'll go to Nathan, Pastor Nathan, and say, okay, hey, God's calling us to make a loud, a loud noise. Let's get some real cymbals up there. Would you, would you appreciate that? No, mics right on the rubber pad so you can be like, mm, 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 mm. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So instrumental praise, God loves that. Then you have yada, which is a Hebrew word that invites us to raise our hands in Thanksgiving. Now, I, I always say take baby steps. You don't have to be David. You don't have to be dancing in a linen ephod 
you know, leaping through the streets like David is. Take baby steps. If you've never raised your hands in worship, I encourage you just, just kind of do this. Okay? Just like this. Just hold your hands out. And then maybe next week you're like, okay, I'm going to raise one hand. Okay? <laughs> I'm telling you, this is how, this is the practical guide to a worshiper, okay? It's baby, look at, it's like, what about Bob? Baby steps onto the elevator, baby steps off of the elevator, baby steps into worship, baby steps out. Anyone see that movie? What about Bob? Okay. Yeah. Dr. Marvin, Dr. Leo Marvin. Okay. Anyway, that's a uh, rabbit trail. I know, squirrel. I, I get this. I got to stay focused. All right. But, but then there might be some of you who, where you raise your hand, and that's, that's, not, that's no problem. Maybe God is calling you now to like start moving, start dancing, start kneeling in a worship service. Maybe that's going to be, but push yourself to be a praiser. Then you have the Hebrew word uh, tada, which is a word that reminds us that thanksgiving is an offering pleasing to God. God is a God. He loves it when we come and bring our thanks into his, into his presence. Then you have a word called, uh, that's, that's barak. And that's the Hebrew word to kneel in submission before God. Again, an act of doing something. Now, when you take all of those words into, into consideration, Psalm 100 comes to life so much more. Psalm 100, I don't know if you know the passage, and that's the very first passage that I memorized as a, as a child. I was in kindergarten, and this is what they, the kindergarten students had to memorize. And it's Psalm 100. It says this. It says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. When you know the context of all those words and what David's doing here in this passage, wow, Psalm 100 really comes to life. It's not just a meaningless, you know, uh, you know kind of putting some fun-sounding words together. It's like these are intentional words that the psalmist is using, that David's using to glorify God. And he's telling himself and he's telling the others, other people who are listening and, and reading this, you need, this is how you do it. This is how you enter into God's presence. So in verse 16, 2 Samuel chapter 6, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. That's David's wife. She despised him in her heart. Those are, that's a big statement right there. So we're seeing right now that you have the guy with the heart after God's own heart is worshiping God and he's coming up against a judgmental spirit. Coming up against a judgmental spirit. Now, have you ever been in a worship service where you're like, ah, if I do this, someone might think critically of me. Someone might be judgmental of me. Well, if that's the case, you're in good company because David had to deal with that too with his own wife. Don't let the fear of a critical spirit stop you from giving the praise he so richly deserves. Now, on Macau's side, here's what Macau. She didn't know what it meant to be a leader. She had an idea of what she thought a leader was and how a leader was supposed to act because Michal, remember, is the daughter of King Saul. Now, David and Michal's marriage was, was not a good marriage. If you go back even to when they got married, David won Michal in a, in a, as a prize. 
Saul said, anyone who can give me the 100 foreskins of the Philistines uh, will win my daughter. So I don't think anyone, is there any wives that have been won that way in this room? <laughs> Dean's like, oh, you know, that, it was 100, but it was about 25, you know. So. <laughs> no, but if you start your marriage out that way, where it's like, okay, hey, you know, honey, I, I won you, you know, by killing a bunch of these Philistines, it's not a whole lot of love there right? She, she's been a prize, and, and it was never, this was not God's intention, by the way. Just people, just because David does things doesn't mean God, this, this was God's ideal way for David. This was David's flesh doing what David's flesh do, does. This is King Saul's flesh doing what King Saul's flesh does. This was not God's intended relationship for David, but needless to say, they're in this marriage relationship. So she's now thinking, my dad, King Saul, would never have done this. As Saul's child, he would be dignified, he would be kingly, he would not be this out of control with, with everyone's looking at him and the servant girls are going to think ill about him. But the qualities that Michael is despising in this very moment are the, the qualities that made David a great leader and a great king. He was a man of the people. He was able to come down and to worship with people. He didn't see himself as being this you know, hoity-toity elite class, ruling class person. He's like, I'm just, an, I'm just a normal guy that God has called to lead. If you want to be a good leader, this is a great principle. Whether you're leading in you know, your family, in your nation, in your schools, in your business, your, wherever God has you, if you want to be a good leader, lead in a way that says, I am not higher than you. I'm here to serve you. I'm just a servant God has called into leadership. That's going to make you a, a fabulous leader. People will love getting behind you and going into, into battle with you wherever God, God calls you to go. But David had that heart. Mikal had a totally warped uh, misconception of, of what, what leadership was supposed to be. In verse 17, And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Uh, let's see here. And, when, and, and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins for each one. And then all the people departed, each to his house. And then David returned to bless his own household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel has honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants. As one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. I mean, can you hear the condescension in, or the, 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 just in her, in her voice? Like, it's just, she's being incredibly condemning with how she meets David at the, at the door. And I'll say this, David, this, this exposes that David and Michal were unequally yoked. Just because two people are Christians doesn't mean, or, or part of the family of God, doesn't mean that they are equally yoked. There's a lot that goes into when you're taking a spouse. There's a, lot, there's a lot you've got to consider. Where are they spiritually? Where are they as worshipers of God? Are they, are they just starting their, their, their journey with the Lord? Or are they, are they you know, hearts like David types people? Where are they? Don't be unequally yoked. It means a whole heck of a lot more than just is someone saved, is someone not saved. And here we see that David and Michal are completely unequally yoked. It's also a good reminder, and this, is, this was convicting to me, you know, when you see Macau 
you know, greeting David at the door. The greeting, when your spouse arrives home, the greeting is very important. Now, I, I'm, I am not the best of it. I will say right now that I do not typically greet Susan probably the way that I should. So, I will commit to you now that like, <laughs> she's taking those. You said you don't do it well and you're going to start doing it better. You know? It's on video. Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Thank you, Dean. Why don't you go out and get another 25 foreskins, all right? So, uh, <laughs> uh, no, but, but that's really important. I mean, remember the, remember the sitcoms of the 50s and 60s, right? You had the Dick Van Dyke show, and, and Mary Tyler Moore would greet Dick Van Dyke, you know, just in, in a, just a really amazing way. And then you had, uh, you had um, the Lucille Ball show. Uh, so you have Ricky Ricardo be like, Lucy, I'm home, you know, and she would come out, be like, oh, honey, how are you, you know, and they would have all their antics, and so, so maybe I'll do that, Susan, I'm home, <laughs> yeah. she's like, she's like, no, you will not do that, yeah, she's like, uh, all right, but, but greeting your spouse is very important, and, and it's, it's not guy, it's not like, it's not women, you have to greet your husbands. That, husbands, you need to greet your wives that way too when they come home. And when you, if, you, if you come home too, greet them when you walk in the door. Whatever spouse is coming in, just greet your spouse with love. Show them that you care about them. Hug them. Give them a kiss. Even if it you know, hasn't been a great day, start that moment when you walk through the door with, on the right foot. But Cal did not do that. And, th- and this is what David says in response to her. He says this, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father. This is the great, the greatest like in-law like thing to say, right? Like your dad sucks. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I am way better than he is. And above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. Okay. Now I don't know if that's David's right response. I don't know if that, you know, should he have should he have gone down that path? Maybe. I think he, had, he was justified in what he said. Should he have said it, though? I don't know. But I will tell you this. This is the principle that bitter words always stir up bitter words. Now, there's a passage in Scripture that is a universal truth. You don't even have to be a Christian to believe and to know this truth. It's from Proverbs 15, verse 1. It says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Bitter words stir up bitter words. If you want to de-escalate any situation that you're going to find yourself in this week, remember this passage. And just say, okay, I want to, what would you say? Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. <laughs> I, my, I got married. My dad was like, Micah, I'm going to give you the best advice that was ever given to me. If you want a long marriage, he said this. He said, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> And it's worked. It's worked. Uh, but yes, dear, or a, just a soft answer turns away the wrath that you're, there's going to be conflict that you're going to find yourself in. There's a, I'm a, I love history. I love World War II history. And one of the great uh, leaders of that time was Winston Churchill. But Winston Churchill, if you go back and look at him in the, the 30s and 40s, he was considered a Donald Trump of his era in politics. I mean, he was, he was so divisive. I mean, people before World War II, people did not like him in parliament at all. Like they just were like, you are brash. You don't know how to say nice things. You, you, you're like, you know, if he had Twitter, he would have rivaled Trump easily. Okay. So like, but, but you know, once World War II started, people were thankful for Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill, if it wasn't for him and his leadership, we might all, not, I mean, we might be speaking German or Japanese right now. 
And, and so he, he was a warrior that God raised up to fight the battle, like I believe you're seeing with someone like a Donald Trump. God brings in harsh warriors sometimes to fight really dangerous and evil enemies. And Winston Churchill was that. But there was this public feud between him and a woman. Her name was Lady Nancy Astor. She was an American that joined Parliament, moved to England. She became a par- parliamentarian. She was a uh, part of Parliament and the British, you know, leadership over there. She was very dignified. She was very, you know, presidential, if you will. And she did not like Winston Churchill. And their, their feuds were always public feuds. And there's a great saying she said uh, to Mr. Churchill uh, once. She said, Winston, if you were my husband, I'd poison your tea. <laughs> Without missing a beat, Churchill responded and said, Nancy, if I were your husband, I'd drink it. <laughs> harsh words, stir up harsh words. You know what I'm saying? There was another moment where she came in, she, was, she saw Winston Churchill, and he'd obviously been drinking. And uh, she said, Winston, you're drunk. And he said, you, ma'am, are ugly. <laughs> but as for my condition, tomorrow I will be sober, but you still will be ugly. <laughs> I know, right? Listen, that's, that's just history. I'm not, you know, I've, I don't condone that kind of uh, like rhetoric, but I'm just saying that was harsh words, stirring up harsh words. You know, if you want to de-escalate conflict, return a harsh word with a soft answer, and that's a universal truth. It works every time. It's how God said it would work. All right, so as we wrap up here, this is what, uh, this is what, you know, David says at the end, he says, I will make myself yet even more contemptible than this, even more undignified than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. He's saying, they're going to know, they know my heart. They're seeing why I'm doing this. God has delivered Israel. He's brought his presence back into Jerusalem. They are, the true worshipers will know my true intention. You just aren't a true worshiper. And the curse then fell upon Michal from that very moment. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Wow. So think about that. The lineage of Saul ended with a critical spirit. If she, think about if she just would have been, I'm not saying that she wasn't justified in maybe some of her, her bitterness. Like, like that's, people are going to victimize you. You will have a right. You'll feel like you have a right to be angry. Yeah, the circumstances can cause you to be angry, sure. That's not what we're saying here. But through it all, if you're not focusing on God and saying, God, what do you want me to do with this? I've been victimized, but I know I'm not a victim. I've been beat down, but I know you call me to soar with wings like eagles above the chaos. What do you want me to do? In this? If she would have had that spirit, think about how God, God would have blessed her. Yeah, he was ending the lineage of Saul, but, but she never conceived a child. Maybe God would have blessed her with a, with a daughter, even. The, the beauties of that, maybe not a son to carry on the lineage of Saul. God said prophetically that that was going to end. But God might have said, hey, I'm, I'll give you a daughter. I'll bless you with multiple daughters. You never know what, what, it, what her life would have looked like if it would have just been a soft spirit, a receptive spirit to the heart of a worshiper. Now, you may say God struck her barren in that moment. I don't know. I, I, I think, honestly, probably David just stopped sleeping with her. I mean, I, that's probably what happened in that moment. He said, I don't want to have anything to do with you. You're still going to be my wife because you're, 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 it's a, you're a political trophy, essentially. But I'm not going to have any intercourse with you. 
And that's what I was talking to Pastor Nathan about that, and that's what he really believes is that it wasn't that God said your womb is now going to be barren. It was that David just said, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Think about that. And then she goes, lives out the rest of her days just in bitterness. That is not what God wants for anybody. Don't have a critical spirit like Macau. Look to the heart of a worshiper like David and say, hey, okay, where, where's God in this? And how can I be moving in that direction to become a similar type worshiper? And at the very, the very last thing I want us all to remember is that you all are going to worship something. This isn't a matter of if you worship. It's a matter of who or what you worship. There is a God-sized hole in every human heart. And you know how we know this? We see the people in this life who literally have everything and yet are still empty. They still don't know what their purpose is. There was a 60-minute interview with, uh, with Tom Brady back when he was probably 32 years old. So this was a few years ago, but he was at the prime of his career. He'd won his third Super Bowl title. And, and in the interview, the, the guy interviewing him says, okay, so you've got three Super Bowls. You married a supermodel. You have, you have a kid or a couple kids with her. You literally have as much money. You don't even know what to do with all your money. You have everything the world has to offer. What next? And he says that, and you see Tom's, Tom Brady's face. It just gets like despair. And he says, he says, literally, he says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Like, like he, it hit him like a ton of bricks. He's like, what am I living for? I've experienced everything and it still hasn't filled me up the way that I thought it was going to fill me up. You know what he was, he, what was happening in his heart? He was realizing he had a God-sized hole that nothing on this earth could fill except for God, except for the Holy Spirit. And I pray that he finds the Holy Spirit. I pray that he knows the God who can fill that hole because if not, he's going to end up like, you guys remember Kurt Cobain? The lead singer of Nirvana, the the punk band, he was young, he was 20-something, young, but he was the top of the world. He's had the top band in the world. He had money, he had fame, he had women, he had everything that the world says you want if you're trying to find purpose and fulfillment. And he ends up taking his own life. Why? Because he tried to worship something other than God, and when he got to the end of the rainbow, there was nothing there. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.